Forget frequently asked questions. Common sense. Common knowledge. Or Google. How about advice from a real genius? 95% of people in any profession are good enough to be qualified and licensed. 5% go above and beyond. They become very good at what they do. But only 0.1% are real geniuses. Richard Jacobs has made it his life's mission to find them for you. He hunts down and interviews geniuses in every field. Sleep science, cancer, stem cells, ketogenic diets, and more. Here come the geniuses. This is the Finding Genius Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Hello, this is Richard Jacobs with the Finding Genius Podcast. I have the Health, Medicine, and Bioscience Edition. My job is to find the top people in their fields. Today is definitely, uh, I've got one of them. It's uh, Dr. Tobias Carling. He's a, one of the world's leading experts at adrenal gland surgery. He performs more adrenal surgery than any other surgeon in America. Uh, he left Yale in 2020 to open the Carling Adrenal Center in Tampa, Florida. So I want to talk to him about uh, his work. So Tobias, thanks for coming. How are you doing? I'm, I'm doing great. Thank, thank you very much for, for having me. Uh, excited so, to, to be part of this. So why, uh, why did you focus on uh, adrenal gland uh, surgery? You know, what, what drew you to it? Yeah, so um, as you may hear from my accent, I'm really from, from Sweden. Um, so I did my medical school at Uppsala University. And uh, uh, during medical school, I ended up doing a PhD, which was focused on endocrine tumors. I, I actually focused initially on parathyroid tumors that are other glands in the neck. Um, and I've done a lot of work on on both parathyroid and thyroid and, and adrenal. Um, but so, so what really drew me to the field of endocrinology and ultimately to endocrine surgery was um, sort of this, uh, the, this fascinating biology, genetics, physiology, pathophysiology uh, that, uh, that I found intriguing. And then at, at Yale, uh, where I was for 17 and a half years, um, my, my clinical practice was exclusively in endocrine surgery, meaning thyroid, parathyroid, and adrenal surgery. And adrenal disease was probably the most fascinating of them all because you can have many, many different types of tumor within just the adrenal gland, and they're all unique with very unique symptoms and problems. Uh, many of them are benign, but occasionally can be cancerous as well. And uh, we developed and uh, and brought back uh, some novel techniques where we can do this operation uh, much uh, faster, safer, and, and better for the patient. So uh, I decided to come here to, to Florida and, and Tampa, Florida, to, to bring these technologies uh, with us. And um, yeah, we're very excited to be here. I've um, been here uh, for, for several months now, and uh, we're, we're getting things up and running very quickly here. Yeah, so what kind of conditions would require someone's uh, adrenals to be removed? I mean, is does the surgery ever repair the adrenals or alter them, or is it only to remove them? Yeah, so, so the operations we do are for tumors, so it's either removal of portion of the adrenal gland or the entire adrenal gland with, with the tumor. It depends a little bit on the size of the tumor and uh, obviously whether it's it's benign or malignant. As I mentioned, the vast majority of tumors are benign, meaning not cancers. But the problem the patient uh, and the signs and symptoms the patient gets is from too much hormone production. So 
the adrenal gland essentially uh, produces three types of hormone, aldosterone, uh, which controls blood pressure and potassium in your body, cortisol, which controls uh, infection and, and glucose, meaning blood sugar, uh, and then catecholamines. Catecholamines are adrenaline-type hormones. Those are the hormones that when uh, you get scared, for instance, you feel like your heart is, is racing, uh, you mm. might turn pale, uh, shaky, you get tremors. And those are, uh, but you can get tumors that overproduce those same hormones. These are called pheochromocytomas. And they cause a lot of those symptoms uh, that are consistently similar to symptoms you get when you get scared. So when there's uh, tumors on the adrenal, whether it's benign or cancerous, I would think that they would crowd out the adrenal cells and the adrenal would produce less of everything it produces. But uh, does that happen? Or is it that the tumors themselves you know, go into hyperactive mode and they're overproducing the different hormones that the adrenal normally produces. So, so take pheochromocytoma that we just discussed. These are tumors that arise in the adrenal medulla, that's the center of the adrenal gland. And when those pheochromocytomas grow, uh, meaning uh, tumors arising from the adrenal medulla that's producing these fight or flight hormones, uh, they do sort of crowd out the cortex that's producing aldosterone and, and cortisol, but um, the remainder of, of the adrenal cortex still is able to produce enough cortisol and aldosterone. Occasionally, especially when you have a genetic disease called MN2A or MN2B, you can get pheochromocytomas on both adrenal glands. And this is a, a, an especial challenge because we want to remove the both pheochromocytomas on both sides but we do want to preserve enough cortex function because living without adrenal tissue uh, um, completely meaning that you don't have enough cortisol can be very dangerous that's what we call adrenal insufficiency uh, so whenever we can uh, even if you have to operate on both adrenal glands we leave uh, some adrenal cortex uh, it's only a handful of surgeons that have a lot of experience with this, but, but when we can do this, that this is very beneficial because otherwise the patient would have to be on lifelong supplementation with, with prednisone. And if they get sick from a simple virus infection, say they can get very sick very quickly. So, so occasionally, um, in, or in many cases, we can preserve adrenal cortex. Um, having so no uh, adrenal... Uh, quick, quick question. So... Yeah. Removing the adrenals completely is a very bad idea. It's not as easy as the thyroid. You just take thyroid hormone. The adrenals, if you remove them, the supplementation just doesn't get, leave you in a healthy state. It leaves you, it sounds like, in a very vulnerable state, right? It, it, yeah, I think, I think that's the best way to describe it. Yeah. For, as long as you're doing fine, you, you may feel very well um, being just taking prednisone, but you have to wear a special bracelet because let's say you get the common cold or the flu, um, you could very quickly get very sick because you don't have enough cortisol. So for instance, patients that have no adrenal gland, they have to wear a bracelet. Uh, so if they found unresponsive, you know, on, on the street, people will know, uh, you know, the, the EMT workers that, that come will give them, uh, you know, intravenous uh, cortisol uh, in, in that scenario. But so sort of daily daily life, um, 
can can work very well. But when you get into very stressed situations, such as a, a, another type of illness, you can get uh, sick very quickly. So when there's a, a tumor on the adrenals, does it usually is there usually a matching tumor on both adrenal, or is one adrenal preferentially you know targeted by tumors? Yeah. Um, so. So, so you can have so you have a left adrenal gland and you have a right adrenal gland and you it, the likelihood that you would develop a tumor uh, on uh, is the most likely scenario is that you develop a tumor on just one side. Um, the, the disease that we have studied a lot, which is called primary hyperaldosteronism or Kohn's syndrome, uh, named after uh, medical endocrinologist Jerome Kohn who discovered this uh, disease back in the 1950s at the University of Michigan. That's why it's called the con tumor or con syndrome. In about half of patients, um, you develop a tumor on just one adrenal gland, and removing that adrenal gland uh, improves the patient tremendously, meaning they can be cured. This disease is often characterized by low potassium, very high blood pressure. Patients are at 10 times greater risk of developing strokes, Arterial, uh, arterial fibrillation, meaning um, when, when the heart is, is beating irregularly or, or heart attacks. So whenever we can diagnose uh, an aldosterone-producing tumor on one adrenal gland and perform an operation on these patients, uh, they benefit tremendously, both in terms of the symptoms they have, but also it has uh, remarkable preventive effects uh, to develop all these complications of too much aldosterone because aldosterone is a very to toxic hormone when it's produced too much because it, uh, it causes fibrosis of, of the kidneys, of the heart, and of vessels. This doesn't happen within days to weeks, but over years of undiagnosed, and these are often very silent tumors unless you're looking for them very carefully. Uh, you might not detect them. So it's not uncommon that patients may have gone years to a decade without uh, being diagnosed. So uh, do tumors preferentially happen on the left or the right adrenal, or is it apparently random? It, it, it's apparently random, yes. Uh, um, there is some studies that suggest that it's slightly less, um, uh, more common on the, on the left side, uh, but, uh, and we don't really know exactly why why that is, but, but you can certainly get it on both the left and the right side. And based on people's physiology, um, if you get it on the left or the right, does that change your outcomes or how it affects you? No, uh, not, not really, because it, really the effect um, is, is related to the hormone overproduction. So whether you have a, a tumor on the left side or the right side that's overproducing either catecholamine or cortisol or aldosterone, the, the physiologic effect is, is, is uh, you know, the same. Uh, having said that, though, um, there's some unique anatomical things that makes, uh, uh, you know, the, the operation can be, can be a little bit trickier, uh, sometimes on the left side, sometimes on the right side, because where the adrenal glands are located on top of the kidney, there's a lot of important vessels and other structures. So it, it, this is definitely an operation that should be done by those that have a lot of experience because you're dissecting very close to the major blood vessels and, and the liver and the spleen and the kidney and so forth uh, in your body. Yeah, of course. Right. Um, so these tumors don't magically produce all three uh, major hormones in the right amounts, they'll preferentially produce one if they're going to produce anything. Is that how they are? 
Exactly. Uh, so they, um, so, so, so typically you have some very rare uh, combinations. So, so in adrenal cortical cancer, which is very rare, um, is about uh, 500 to 1,000 new cases in the United States, but very important to diagnose, obviously, because those, uh, those tumors can be very aggressive and, and metastasize and spread. But those cancers sometimes can produce several different hormones, most commonly cortisol, but occasionally they can produce uh, androgens and, and, um, and, uh, and, and other, uh, and even estrogen in men. And so androgens in, in women, can, they can develop uh, masculinizing uh, uh, symptoms and, and vice versa, uh, where uh, men that have estrogen-producing tumors can develop gynecomastia, that's when the breast uh, grow bigger and, and other feminizing symptoms. Uh, so whenever you have a tumor that's producing multiple different hormones, you always worry about adrenal cortical care. But for the benign tumors, they either produce aldosterone or they produce cortisol or they produce the catecholamine. And then between the tumors that uh, produce one of the hormones, you know, uh, is one most dangerous? Is the aldosterone producing ones the worst? Or the cortex, you know, the cortisol ones. How would they differ? Yeah, so um, that's a great question. Um, I would say the steochromatomas can be the most sort of acutely dangerous because they can cause very high spikes in your blood pressure. So where you normally your blood pressure should run, you know, somewhere 120 to 130 over 80 to 90. Patients that have this. As spells, we call them theochromosotoma spells, they can have their blood pressure shoot up to over 200, 250, and they can get very symptomatic. So if you have this untreated um, over time, it can cause very, very damaging effect on your heart. Your patient can go into heart failure and, and other problems. So more acutely, theochromosotomas can be very, uh, very dangerous. Um, Aldosterone-producing tumors, yeah, go ahead. Oh, go ahead, please. Uh, Aldosterone-producing tumors are dangerous in the sense that they're very insidious, meaning it's a silent disease, so you may have high blood pressure without knowing about it. You may not have that many symptoms. Occasionally, your potassium level, if you have that checked by your doctor, can be low, but uh, that's not always the case. Only about one-third of patients have low um, potassium. So it's a silent disease, but any patient that is under 50 years old when they have high blood pressure or when they, they first diagnosed with high blood pressure should be screened uh, to make sure they don't have primary hyperaldosterone. Cortisol producing tumors can also be sort of insidious and, and can be difficult to know and over time that can, they can cause weak bones, osteoporosis. Um, they can uh, uh, also in, increase the, the blood pressure. You can develop this uh, fat deposits on your abdomen, so, so what we call central obesity, as well as on your or back, and it can affect your wound healing and with easy bruising and so forth. So you can have a lot of different symptoms from overproduction of cortisol as well. Well, when you have um, certain conditions, let's say you're someone that's very stressed, you have very high cortisol a lot of the time, would that selectively stress your adrenals so that it would cause maybe a tumor to, to form or would it weaken the production, for instance, of cortisol selectively in the adrenals, and then therefore they just become totally compromised? Like, what do you think is the reason for these 
tumors or adrenal problems in the first place? Yeah, so um, there's, there's not really many environmental factors. So with, um, as, as you mentioned, when I was at Yale, I was the director of the, and founder and the director of the Yale Endocrine Neoplasia Laboratory, and we had the opportunity to, to study all these tumors when it comes to why they form. And it, it really isn't related to sort of your basal cortisol levels or catecholamine levels. It, it's really as similar as other tumors where uh, you develop a mutation in a gene that controls cortisol production and or aldosterone production and the growth of the cells. And when you develop those two mutations, there's a gene in aldosterone-producing tumors called casein NJ5, which we discovered. And you, you, you have a random mutation in this gene. And because of that, you start developing these tumors and, and, and uh, aldosterone produce, uh, production and why you have this mutation. So we have mutations that occur in our genome all the, all the time and most of them are silent or, 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 or repaired, but occasionally you develop this. And as far as we can tell, this is, this is random. Uh, the term that's been used is, is bad luck, um, bad luck genetics. Um, again, these are not genes that you pass on, but genes that are mutated in a cell and then the cell grows into a tumor and overtake the rest of the adrenal. Uh, so casein NJ5 is a gene that's mutated most commonly. Uh, it's the most common cause of uh, aldosterone-producing tumor and the cortisol-producing tumor, another gene that we discovered is called uh, PRKACA, uh, which uh, causes most most of the non-cancers benign cortisol-producing tumors. And fibromasatomas are, are uh, again, unique from a genetic point of view because there's 13 uh, different genes that, now we're not talking about mutations that occur within the tumor, even though that can occur too, but these are genes that you can inherit. So there's 13 different genes that put you at risk of developing both Chromosomas and what we call paragangliomas. Those are similar tumors, but they don't occur in the adrenal. They occur outside the adrenal. And um, so you can have a genetic component in, in up to 20% of all those chromosomas, and even higher in paragangliomas, about 40%. So do more men or women get uh, adrenal problems? And is there a certain age that's common for onset? Yeah, so for um, uh, hyperaldosteronism and the aldosterone-producing tumor, cortisol-producing tumor, it's it's more common in women than in men. Uh, Fibromastomas tend to be relatively similar, uh, almost 50-50, and the same goes for adrenocortical cancer. Um, but um, and and we don't really know why women develop what we call Christian syndrome or subclinical Christian syndrome when you have overproduction of cortisol more commonly than, than men, and the same go for primary hyperaldosterone. And then in, um, yeah. in the surgery that you do, um, even if only one adrenal is affected, do you try to keep at least some of the cortex and some of the adrenal in there and only selectively remove the tumor? Or do you figure like, all right, well, there's still one good adrenal, so we'll just take this one out? Yeah, so as long as you have, so you need about 30% of your total adrenal mass uh, to have enough cortisol production, and that's the cortisol we we worry about that 
that the patient has enough cortisol production. So if you have a, a non-genetic disease and a, you just have a tumor on one side and the other adrenal gland on, the, on a CAT scan or an MRI uh, is normal, we can, we can remove that entire adrenal gland. But certainly, as, as I discussed, whenever you, you either have had a previous operation, occasionally you can have tumors on, on both uh, adrenal glands that occur over the lifetime, or as we talked about in the, se- in the setting of genetic uh, diseases where you have tumors on both sides of the adrenal, we certainly want to preserve uh, cortisol production, what we call a cortex sparing adrenal exit. Well, once you have a disease in one adrenal, does that predispose you to having it in the other one? Uh, again, it it depends um, on on the on on um, uh, what age you you present and whether you have a genetic predisposition. So certainly, if you're younger when you uh, develop an adrenal tumor, and especially if it's a phacomazotoma, I always worry about genetic predisposition in those cases. So those uh, cases, you can develop a tumor. Uh, on the on the other side that comes later on. I should also say that we uh, also take care of patients that have uh, spread from other cancers to the to the adrenal gland, uh, and and sometimes if if they have no, let's say you have a melanoma or a lung cancer or a, or a kidney cancer or colorectal cancer, for instance, and you have metastasis to the adrenal gland, which occurs sometimes. If they ha- don't have any other signs of metastasis, meaning no other spread, we can uh, remove the, 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 the tumor, uh, the metastasis, what's called a metastectomy. Um, and, and then often, if it occurs on both sides, we may do a cortex sparing approach. Uh, but again, that's, that's relatively rare. It's usually where you have spread to just one of the adrenal glands. Well, is it harder to do the cortex sparing surgery? I mean. Is it better to, yeah. to always do that, or is it not necessarily better, or is it more convenient to just take? Yeah, so uh, it's not so much com- convenient. It's it so t- it's technically more. Uh, um, I, you know, I have a lot of experience with this, so so you know, I've, I've done a lot of this. But as people learn the technique, it's certainly easier to remove the entire adrenal gland than to do a cortex sparing approach. Uh, the potential downside of doing a cortex sparing approach is if you, because you're sort of cutting through the adrenal gland, so if you're not careful and you cut through and spill tumor cells, those can implant even in non-cancerous situations. So if you implant uh, tumor cells because you cut through the adrenal, but you didn't have enough what we call margins to the tumor, you could potentially spill tumor cells and the tumor can grow back. So that's the potential downside with with doing you know cortex sparing approaches in in all cases so so when i evaluate this patient i i spend a lot of time looking at the the, the imaging usually a cat scan or an mri but sometimes pet scan to to be able and i can sort of predict based on the scans whether the patient uh whether it would be a, a smart thing to do a cortex sparing approach uh whereas or whether the whole adrenal gland uh, needs to be removed because you don't want to spill tumor cells. Okay. 
And how, how big are the adrenals? And are they like attached to the kidney or are they just hanging out right on top of the kidney? They, yeah, this, they, sit, uh, they sit right on top of the kidney. They're about the size of a fortune cookie and they, they look similar in shape as a fortune cookie, almost like a triangle. And um, they, uh, they protect uh, sitting around the, the kidney. You have something called the gerotas fascia with some fatty tissue. Uh, around the kidneys and uh, the adrenal is sort of embedded in, in that fat and and then there's uh, and on the left side you have a left adrenal vein that comes that drains into the the left renal vein which is the vein that goes uh, from the kidney whereas on the right side you have a very short right adrenal vein that empties directly into the vena cava which is the major vein in your body, and that's one of the reasons it's very important to be very careful when you dissect these this areas because you you operate right next, just a millimeter millimeters away from the major vein in the body. Wow! And once you uh, remove an adrenal, how does the blood flow change in the body? Does it significantly change? You know, how's the kidney affected, and how's the person affected? Like, what will they experience? Yeah, uh, you you don't. Still, the adrenal glands are small glands, so so even if what so when we remove if we remove the whole gland, we ligate, uh, meaning we put a little clip on on the 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 vein, and and that has no functional consequence. Uh, the, the 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 patient won't be able to 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 notice any difference uh, from that, um, and because we do what's called the mini back scope adrenalectomy, where we make three small incisions in the back, which is, uh, and, and it's done minimally invasive with the endoscope, um, because you don't go through the abdomen, you, the patients have very little pain afterwards. So typically, uh, if it's a straightforward operation, the operation takes about half an hour, and then the patient usually spend one night in the hospital, go home the next day, and already by the next day, uh, they have very little pain, um, just a little bit of stiffness in the in their lower back for a couple of days. Does it impact their kidney function on the side that, that where the adrenal was taken out? Uh, no, not not as long as as you don't uh, you know ha- have a problem with the, with the kidney, but uh, it doesn't affect the kidney function. Having said that, though, in aldosterone producing tumors, as we talked about before, uh, sometimes removing the tumor can unmask some of that fibrosis. Remember I said that over over time the aldosterone is, is very toxic. So over time the aldosterone production can directly cause some fibrosis, meaning scarring of the kidneys. Uh, so so that's one of the reasons it's so important to diagnose and um, and treat this patient. As I said, many patients go go untreated for years to decades. So if a disease is you really need to uh, screen for and look for, especially if you're younger in your 40s and 50s and you have high blood pressure or, or any of the other signs or symptoms we discussed. Okay. Does, does anyone ever get an adrenal transplant or is there no such thing? Uh, yeah, there, there's, there's no such thing as, as an uh, adrenal transplant. Um, people have, um, you know, done, done some uh, experimentation with that, especially for those uh, that um, you know, don't have any adrenal tissue at all, um, but but uh, we don't do transplantations for adrenal glands because right. the because 
even though there's some danger with having no adrenal tissue, the risks of taking immunosuppressants, so you would have to take very strong medication to to lower your immune response. Uh, and those medications are, uh, the risk of those medications are greater than the risk of taking extra extra prednisone or extra cortisol. Yeah, that works. What, all right, so it seems like, you know, why use a robot if it's gonna make the surgery take longer? That would reduce the number of people that could get the surgery because an operating room only has so much capacity. It would require more anesthesia for longer. I'm sure it would make complications more likely. So it's better to do it short and sweet for the human and, you know, bang it out in 20, 30 minutes, right? Yes. I mean, um, especially for uh, the, the elderly population, but, but for all patients, you want to minimize the, the operative time. But especially for, for elderly patients, we know that being under general anesthesia for long long periods of time is, 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 is not without complications. So whenever possible, we want to uh, do the, the operations in a swift manner to uh, both uh, for the, the patient's sake, but for all the overall, um, uh, you know, society, uh, we, we want to uh, provide operations that are swift and uh, efficient as opposed to the other way around. Because it's so short, is there a possibility to use um, uh, not local anesthesia, but a lighter form of anesthesia if there is such a thing and not have, you know, the fully deep uh, anesthesia that would normally go? Yeah. Um, so because this, this uh, operation is done, so the patient goes to sleep and then we flip the patient over and rely on their tummy and we make the incisions from the back. I think it would, it would still be... Uh, because even though the incisions are small, the area that we work in and the fact that we're so close to major vessels, it's very important that the patient is, is absolutely still. So I, so I think that doing it under, under you know, what, what's called local anesthesia or local regional uh, block anesthesia, um, it's, it's probably a few, few years uh, away. Um, but, but that, you know, it's, it's, Something, something we might look into uh, doing down, down the road. You can do epidural and spinal anesthesia. I don't think anybody has, uh, as far as I know, done, done that for adrenal tumors, but it, that, that's a possibility. I think since the operation is quick and, and um, the most, uh, most patients do very well from general anesthesia, we, we still... We still do it uh, to make sure the patient is, is very comfortable during the operation. Okay. Well, very good. Well, you know, God forbid if anyone has a problem um, and they're in your area or they want to see, you know, one of the top people all over the U.S., I mean, you're, you're one of them. So what's, uh, where can people go to learn more to see if they have a problem? And then if so, do they need uh, you know, the expertise of a really good surgeon? What do you recommend? Yeah. So uh, they can always just Google my name, TBS Carling. C-A-R-L-A-N-G. At the Carling Adrenal Center, our website is very easy. It's adrenal.com. So www.adrenal.com. And we have more than 200 pages of very informative uh, uh, text that that talks about all these different symptoms and and how you can interpret your lab values and and about uh, the operation and what's important to look for. So, we um, 
patients really enjoy to read up on on the information on the on the website uh, because we're trying to get the word out again these are diseases that for most for 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 primary care physicians they may not may only see one or two of, of these uh, diseases in a lifetime so it's important that uh, the patient uh, patients educate themselves as well as uh, we're trying to spread the word about finding these patients because we know that there's thousands of them out there that, that never come to treatment and, and, and that's a shame because we know that we can help patients uh, prevent a lot of bad complications from this uh, toxic hormone. Well, very good. Well, Tobias, thanks for coming. Um, it's rare that I speak to surgeons. I mean, I know you guys are super busy, but thank you so much for your time and your willingness to explain all this. Uh, I appreciate that. I, I enjoyed chatting with you and um, and, and, and look look forward to hear, hear more from you and, uh, and this podcast. You guys are doing a great job. You've been listening to the Finding Genius Podcast with Richard Jacobs. If you like what you hear, be sure to review and subscribe to the Finding Genius Podcast on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. And want to be smarter than everybody else? Become a premium member at FindingGeniusPodcast.com. This podcast is for information only. No advice of any kind is being given. Any action you take or don't take as a result of listening is your sole responsibility. Consult professionals when advice is needed.